Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Very good morning to you. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. That's good. It's good to be back here in, in Burlington. And uh, oh, you're attached. I can see he's going to be on, on his he's on a, on a lead. Um, it's good to be here. No, no, no. Uh, my name is Dave Gardner. Mine to lovely Karen, who's here. I've got two boys. Uh, one called Ben. One called Sam. And today they'll be praying like mad because, of course, it's Ipswich versus Norwich. Uh, so that's where their focus will be. So try and keep your mind focused for a moment as best you can uh, on what I'm saying. Uh, but I need you to think about what score it might be because you're going to share that in a minute with a neighbor. Um, my name is Dave Gardner. I'm uh, currently what's called the Director of Mission and Ministry in the Diocese of St. Edmunds v. Ipswich. Ooh. Doesn't that, that sound grand? Um, I'm vicar, basically, uh, without a church. Uh, I've, I've had churches. Uh, I used to be vicar at St. John's Woodbridge uh, about five years ago for nearly 14 years and a little village nearby in Breadfield. Before that, I was in the Mildenhall team uh, on the other side of the county. And before that, I served my curacy in the West Midlands. So I've been a vicar quite a long time, uh, used to leading churches. And uh, I said to Simon when he very kindly asked me to uh, come and uh, help out during sabbatical time, I said, well, there's, a, there's good news and bad news, Simon, when you go away in sabbatical. Uh, the, the, the good news is you get a nice long rest. The bad news is they get used to life without you. And uh, I looked back in 2002, and I had my sabbatical, and I looked back at the records, and when I got back, actually, the church grew the most while I was away. Just ponder that, will you, as you uh, welcome him back eventually. Uh, so thank you so much for coming here. I'm thrilled by the ministry that you have here at Burlington, uh, not only what you do here, but also your missional communities, because uh, my role, actually, is very much at the heart of what you do. My role principally is trying to remind that about 5% to attend churches and chapels across Suffolk, the 95% exist. That's what I'm about. And I've got this wonderful job now that I don't do that no longer in a local church. I support the, both the bishops and the senior staff, uh, which I'm a part of, to actually try and get the whole diocese, alongside if partners with, with yourselves, to think about how we might witness for Jesus Christ in Suffolk. That's what I do. And so that's what I spend most of my time doing, either encouraging clergy uh, in, sort of in their ways and leadership, or, or leading it, or actually tra- helping to train people, and to try and think how we might engage with those who currently do not attend our churches and chapels. That's what I'm about. So it's good to be here, because most of my work is across the churches, not just in the Anglican Church. And today we're going to look at uh, this passage in a minute about this encounter that Jesus has with two very different groups of people who do not normally come together, but they unite against him, uh, because it's actually quite a challenge to actually be involved in this work. I said who I am. It'd be good if you could find someone you don't know too well. Um, fi- say hello to them. You must have to move around a little bit. I don't know if you do that here, but move around a little bit. And say hello to them and tell them what you think the score will be today between Ipswich and Norwich. Just go and do that.
Okay, let's draw together again. Um, I won't ask for any hands that thought that Norwich might win to show their hands because you wouldn't, you know, well, you could, you could debate, you know, you could, you could be really brave. Oh, there's one or two, there we go. Uh, that, that's fine, we'll pray for you later. And um, it's really important that we actually do actually know each other across the churches, not just within the churches, to actually break out of our bubbles sometimes. You do it here with missional communities, but sometimes I find Christians sort of huddle together, they gather together, but when they're scattered, they're not quite as courageous as they could be. And I want to look at that this morning, if you're with me. So let's have a look at Matthew, and uh, you may want to turn to it, page 990, Matthew 22. And uh, we got this background to this passage. Of course, it happens in sort of um, Passion Week and Holy Week. Uh, what's happened before it, because Jesus is really entering into a really very specific, um, very public, very obvious way of proclaiming the kingdom. That's what Jesus is about in Matthew's gospel, is come to claim that people need to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. There's something breaking out here. And if you read the background to this Matthew 22, in Matthew 21, if you just turn over a page and going backwards, you'll find, of course, that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And he enters it rather obviously, as a, if you know your Old Testament, as a sign that he is king. And before that, he's kept it fairly quiet. He's been up in the north in Galilee, and he's kept it fairly quiet when people proclaim who he really is. He often tries to keep them quiet, but not now. Now is the time to proclaim who Jesus Christ really is. Even in the Anglican Church, we might get an hallelujah on the end of that one. Uh, um, you know, there's a sense of we need to proclaim who Jesus Christ really is. Hallelujah. That's better. And it's that sense of we need to, that, that sort of boldness. And how can we engage in the public arena? How can we be bold when we're not gathered, when we're scattered? How can we be public witnesses for Jesus Christ where we are? Not when we go overseas or whatever, or when we've got a missionary calling. Absolutely on Monday tomorrow. Wherever you'll be at 10, 11 o'clock tomorrow. Wherever that may be, how can you be a public witness for Jesus Christ to proclaim him as Lord? To see the kingdom of God come where you are. There are three steps. There are always three steps, aren't there? There are three steps. The first one is to have courage. We need to have courage. It took a great deal of courage for Jesus to enter Jerusalem riding on that donkey, for the crowd to proclaim Hosanna, and for the whole city, if you notice in that verse, to, to be stirred. It says the whole city was stirred. On my heart and on my passion is I want the whole of Suffolk to be stirred by the name of Jesus Christ. More locally, because we live literally around the corner from where you are here. We live on Wilberforce Street. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, we live just around the corner. I want the whole of Ipswich to be stirred by the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's what it says. When he entered publicly as king, there was a stirring. Now we know the stirring is two ways. There are those who proclaim him, Hosanna, isn't this great? And there are others like we're going to see in a moment, these Pharisees and Herodians and others, Sadducees, and there's a whole list of people who are definitely stirred in the wrong way. I don't think when you proclaim Jesus Christ, you get a nil response. You get a response, both positively and negatively. Thank you. you, get a, you get either positively or negatively. It's not a sort of a dull, uh, it's sort of a, and in my role, and it may just be Anglican churches, I'm not so sure it is, we've become sort of quite domesticated, quite passive as Christians. 
We receive teaching, we receive prayers and Bible study, which is all fantastic, but actually, does it really affect what we do 9 to 5, Monday to Saturday, or whatever hours you work? In the context that you spend most of your life, and those of a working age, that will be in the workplace, how is your witness? How can you be courageous there? Is your place of work stirred by faith, by your witness? Now, I actually work in the St. Nicholas Center, just opposite Jewson's. There's a church, an old church building, opposite Willis Building. That's where the Dyson office is. That's where my desk is. And actually, in the office, people who come don't all have to be Christians who actually work there because we need accountants, we need administrators, we need others. You do not have to have what you call a genuine occupation requirement to work there. So my, my place of witness, my first place, is where I work. And they say, well, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, that's what you do. But how does that work through? In Lent, what we did when we do, we all, because it is a, it, no, there are Christians who work there, including myself, the bishops, that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's helpful. And, um, but actually, we actually do have prayers every day for those who want to come. Uh, this is unusual, obviously, because where we are, we have a communion every uh, Wednesday. Uh, not, not, not many people come. But there are those who are not of any faith whatsoever. So how do we witness to where they are? And then what we decided to do, because people still think, remember sort of Lent, because they can see in Tesco's around the corner, your sort of pancake mix being left over and your, your sort of maple syrup there. They're not quite sure what it's about, but they, they can spot that still. We gave everybody at work, with permission, a holding cross. Just remind them what this season was about. We left one on every desk with a little leaflet explaining what it was. So you could just stick it in your pocket, and when you got a bit of a downtime, you could just hold it, remember what Christ had done for you. I had people come to me who I know would not claim to be Christians, said, Dave, thank you so much for giving me that holding cross. You don't know what it meant to me to hold on to that. I think we can be courageous in our workplaces. We can be courageous in our context to publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he did as he enters. That's the background to this passage. He is courageous. And we need to equally be courageous. He then goes into the temple courts, and this is where this happens. The temple courts are the place of public engagement. It's where you communicate with each other. It's where you debate, where you're open for people to come and, come and go. That's what we do. In the work that I do, we've, we've, we've put together a strategy. I happen to have a few copies with me in case you want to see the Anglican strategy for the Church of England in Suffolk. It's called Growing in God. It's our strategy for growth. That we want to grow in depth, responding to the call of Christ in every area of our lives. We want to grow in number. We want to see more people respond to the call of Jesus Christ. We want to grow in influence, serving and engaging in our society, especially on the side of the poor and, and, and the discredited. And we want to grow younger because we recognize we've got an age issue. <laughs> I'm not going any further. <laughs> but we need to grow younger as well. And this strategy has been going for about three, four years now. It's been taken up by over half the diocese. Actually looking at action plans, looking at how churches of all sorts of sizes, of all you can imagine in the Church of England, of all sorts of persuasions, from very Catholic traditions to more evangelical traditions. And we've got half the churches already engaged and more joining. Yesterday I was with a group of people who've got responsibility for multi-parish rural benefices. Tough. It's actually hard charging around lots of little villages and expectations, but seeking to proclaim, seeking to be in the public places. And I encourage my colleagues to have open meetings and go to the pubs. Don't do it in the church halls. Go in the pubs and have an open meeting. 
Ask them what they think about the church should be involved in, how they can be engaged. Get them involved. Because there's still a latent Christendom around. And people would want to turn to the church in times of need in various ways. We get that quite a lot. Then actually we can actually build on that. But we need to engage in a public conversation and be willing to hear what they've got to say back to us. So the first thing we need to do, if we want to be a public witness in our workplaces, where we spend most of our time not in our church buildings, is to be courageous. I wonder what God's calling you to be courageous about this week. Not sometime in the distance, but this week. What's your equivalent of giving a holding a cross to those in your workplace? You may not have that privilege to do that in your workplace. But what's your equivalent? How can you be engaged with your family and friends who perhaps know that you're Christian, they're a wider family, you see them like near Christmas or whatever, but how can you engage with them? Maybe an invite to your carol service. We've been to here before. Maybe an invite to something else to take that step. You may have invited them before and have not come, but why not invite them again? Don't be put off by that. We need that sense of being courageous. The second thing we need to do if we're going to be this public witness, we need to understand the challenge of what it is to live in our context. Understanding the challenge. And the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teachers, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Wow, what a lovely flattery. Welcome. Thank you, preacher. It's lovely to see you, Jesus. We've been waiting so long to hear. You're such an amazing teacher. Notice the words that they use. You're an amazing teacher. You're not pushed around by people's opinions, are you? And here we are, two very different parties. We're the Pharisees. We're the ones who look after the holiness of the people of God, the distinctness of the people of God. That's what we're about. And over here are our friends, inverted commas, they're not friends at all, are Herodians who actually owe their allegiance to Rome because King Herod only gets any power from the overarching baddie empire who's come in Rome to actually take over the whole land. And these two people are saying, actually, we think you're fantastic. Can you just ask this, answer this simple question? You know, is it right uh, to pay this money to Rome? Big trap. It says deliberately here, it is a trap. The word that lies behind it uh, means to ensnare or to entrap. How could they trap him in argument? They plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging, says Eugene Peterson in the message. One commentator says, this is no dispassionate inquiry into a proper attitude to the Roman overlord. They were out to trap him. The trap was... Whatever he said, because it's a typical uh, question, it's a yes and no answer. The trap was, if he says, yes, it's right to pay this, then all those zealots and all those who are very Jewish and wanted to get rid of the Romans would be against him. And the Pharisees could say, aha, he's not the Messiah. (laughs) He's against us. And the Herodians could equally say, look, aha, he's committing treason. If he says, no, it's not right to pay the taxes. In other words, it's a (laughs) lose-lose. is out to trap. Now, we may not face these questions. You're not going to go into work tomorrow and say, is it right to pay taxes? <laughs> That's not the debate. That's where some, where some preachers go. That's not what this is about. This actually is about facing the reality of the challenge we face when we go into the public arena. When we're in our workplaces, when we're in where we, wherever we are and not here, not gathered, 
what we find in our society is a secular, increasing secular culture that increasingly is slightly anti-religious. Slightly, you can be everything else, but if you're Christian, and certainly if you use the phrase a Bible-believing Christian, even more so, is actually now it's sort of a frowned upon. And what I find is that we can go quiet. We can go quiet and begin to hide it. Now, we need to be uh, wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as Jesus said, and he hears in his answer in a few moments. But nevertheless, we mustn't actually be kowtowed, if you like, by this culture of secularization. One of the jobs that I do, may sound a rather boring job, is to look at all our statistics. And a census was undertaken in 2011, as it was in 2001, And one of the questions that's asked in the census is, uh, if you have got any religion at all, which box would you tick? In in 2001, across Suffolk, about 72% of the population ticked the box Christian. By the time it came to 2011, across Suffolk, the percentage had dropped to 57%. But in Ipswich, it's even worse than that. It's now at the level of 49% in 2011. In other words, the majority of the town would no longer tick the box Christian. And that's an old stat from 2011. It's now 2017. I suspect it's even gone, the other way, gone further. Society has changed and has shifted. And anyone who engages in the public arena would recognize that instantly. We can see that. So it's in one sense, we've got a different context that Jesus was facing. But nevertheless, it's a context we need to face a challenge of. We need to understand. We need to listen to our culture. We need to engage with that culture and think, what are the challenges that people are facing? How are we challenged by that? And how might we address this appropriately? How can we engage? How can we come out of our, our, our buildings and be seen to be these Christian witnesses so that the kingdom of God may come, proclaiming who Jesus is? This is the question that we need to ask ourselves. I said to you that myself and Karen, we live on Wilberforce Street. Isn't that a lovely name to live on, a road to live on? What an example of someone who had courage and also faced the challenge of his society, William Wilberforce. And if you notice around this area, I don't know if you walk around this area because I walk around it a lot, this Clarkson Street. Well, Thomas Clarkson was another uh, abolitionist for the slave trade. Actually died at Playford. When he retired, he lived out at Playford, just around the corner. They owned a lot of the land around here. That's why some of the names of the streets around here are named after some of the um, abolitionists. So you've got Wilberforce, you've got Clarkson, you've got Benzet, or Benizet, the little road that comes down. Again, an American Quaker who wrote about, what did he write about? Actually, the abolition of slavery. You've got three streets named right near here, that are named after Christians who've been courageous, who've stood up to the challenge of their society many years ago, at great cost to themselves, at great ridicule, who took the, 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 the public route and said, we're against this. We're for Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God coming in our generation means that we're going to focus on the abolition of slavery. They did many other things as well. But actually, that's the one they're remembered for. I take it a great privilege to live on Wilberforce Street. <laughs> I wonder if they'd name any streets after us because of what we stood up for. That we are known to be Christians. That we're known to be in our workplaces as Christians of high moral principle, will campaign for those who, who face injustice. Would anybody name anything after us? I'm not asking their name to be named the Gardener Street. That sounds ridiculous. But you know, I mean, it's just a thought, isn't it? 
Are we locked away in our buildings too much? How does our Christian faith work out in daily life, in our workplaces, in our families, and wherever we may be? That's a a thought to, 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 to think through. And finally, we need to engage in God's mission by willing to confront directly. We've heard the challenge of the question, and now we listen to the answer to the question. Verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. He asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So we got the sense of being courageous. We got the sense of facing the challenge of our society and listening to the questions that are coming towards us, but not being kept out by them. And now we feel like we need to confront those that would deny the coming of God's kingdom. That's quite a strong word, isn't it? To use the word confront, but I think you can only read this passage and say, that's exactly what Jesus does. Notice it's certainly not Anglican languages when he says, you hypocrites. We tend, I don't know about you in Baptist circles, we tend not to use those words. <laughs> um, you may, uh, but we don't. Um, it's actually quite strong. And it's not the first time that Jesus uses it. He's used it earlier in Matthew's Gospel. If you go to Matthew 23, he uses it about eight, eight, eight times in about eight verses. It's, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And the word hypocrite, you probably know this, is the, the word behind it means to act. He says a pretense here of holiness. He directs it particularly at the Pharisees because they pretended to be desperately holy and wanted to be on the side of God and God's kingdom. But actually, in the reality of their lives, they didn't follow it through with how they lived. Me and Karen met in the Royal Air Force. We were both, Karen was an airwoman, I was an airman. (laughs) That's what we were. And we knew that actually the integrity of our lives had to match, our words and our deeds had to match. People in the forces will accept you for who you are and who, what you are as long as you're, you've got a life of integrity. I don't think that's changed any, any, since. And the problem with the Pharisees, they were play-acting, literally. They weren't who they were. And my concern sometimes for some Christians, I sometimes think, are we play-acting? Do we have one face for Sunday and another face for Monday? That's an issue. And we need to come out of that bubble and think, how can we actually, in the right way, challenge, confront, whatever word you want to use, that which gets in the way? Because Jesus certainly did, and he did very obviously and in words. He spoke up. Sometimes my role is to advise the bishops, because the bishops are often playing this role in the public arena in our society, our church leaders, how we engage I myself get involved in some of these things. And we need to engage correctly and politely, but firmly, thinking this is the way that we see things, and this is what we, we, we think and what we say. But not only that, he's, he's, he's not just actually talking about these things. Look at the way he answers. You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Whose portrait is that? Whose inscription? Of course, they had a portrait of the Tiberius, the emperor. And he's made out to be a God. And you don't make images of gods. You don't make any images. That's against the Ten Commandments. And he gives this response, which is, be careful how you read this response. Uh, the different versions give slightly different responses. And he says to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. I prefer the, the authorized version, render unto Caesar. <laughs> render, give back to Caesar what belongs to him, and give back to God what belongs to him. 
That's a more nuanced understanding of the Greek that lies behind this. And that's quite clever. Because actually Caesar would have nothing without God. And the Pharisees knew that. And they caught him. They've got him. Render unto Caesar. And the danger that we have in our society is that we have this sacred-secular divide. We have our sacred and our holy buildings, our sacred spaces, and I understand the importance of them. But actually, he used to say at St. John's, our biggest factor, our biggest problem was the walls that we had. We need to break down the walls, and you do that in your missional communities. But we need to do that as we're scattered as a church next week, Monday to Saturday, uh, uh, that's where we engage most of our time. Is how are we going to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in those places? So we don't have a sacred-secular divide. And the danger is with the secular divide is that there's areas that are no-go areas for Christians. Oh, we don't do politics. Wilberforce did. <laughs> in a rather big way. <laughs> in a rather very straightforward way. I mean, Clarkson was going off to America. He gathered things. He had this Clarkson box. You can find it on the internet. This box that looks all the materials that you got from the New World and all the rest of it. But he also put in the box all the sort of all the shackles that the slaves were put into. And he shocked society, polite society, by showing the real conditions that slaves were brought over uh, in ships in. He showed them starkly. It's a bit of a PR, if you want, put it like that. He understood how to communicate to his society. We need to understand how to communicate in our society that we are not going with this. We think there's another way, whatever the issue may or may not be. I'm picking on slave trade because I live in Wilberforce Street. What's the issues that we need to be involved in? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Across the churches in Suffolk and across in Ipswich in particular, I'm involved in this mission called Who Cares? You've probably heard about it. And we're asking a very simple thing, that we're asking all, all Christians across the Ipswich, across Suffolk, is just to take some of these cards. And it's a simple card, and you give it to your friends, family, work colleagues. That we're doing a survey at church, we're trying to listen to our society, and we're asking one simple question. Could you answer the question for us? And you give them the card, and the question is, what hurts you the most? That's all the question is. And they fill the card in anonymously, and you fold it, you put it in a little envelope, and then we survey it. And we're having this listening phase in the Who Cares mission from September to Christmas. Many churches are engaged in this. And uh, trying to listen to our society. What really are the major issues that we need to bring the kingdom of God into? And we've done this survey uh, in the past in other places. uh, And and they have a listening phase. And then they think about their church programs in the January to Easter. And think how they may respond to what they really listen to. And they may speak up and maybe confront some of the issues that are really on the hearts and minds of people. I looked, at, I looked up in the background to some of this, of what are this, in other Who Cares missions, what have been some of the common responses? These are they. Loneliness, injustice, physical suffering, money worries, negative emotions, family issues, relation problems, dealing with bereavement. There are many others, about 20 others that are there. And how about the church engaging directly with some of those issues? Campaigning where it's right for some of those issues. They're on the hearts of the people that we're seeking to reach with the good news of Jesus' kingdom. The good news of Jesus. That we really do listen. We are challenged by our society. As Jesus had to listen very carefully to the question he was being asked. And then given the appropriate response that is bold... If you don't like the word confront, then use the word bold. That is bold, that says it as it is, that is not trying to lead people down a blind alley, 
but actually get, demonstrates something of God's love and God's care and God's compassion. Because we call this mission, Who Cares? Which sounds quite ironic, question mark. Because we want to say, Jesus cares. And how will people know that? Because the people of God, the body of Christ, as it's currently configured in Suffolk, shows it cares. It demonstrates it cares. And it demonstrates it cares to those we work with. It demonstrates it cares with those in our wider families. It demonstrates it cares with those that you live amongst if you don't live in this immediate area. It demonstrates it cares uh, by those you socialize with. We can demonstrate that in very simple ways. It to be big campaigns. It's very straightforward. How can we be involved in this amazing mission that God gives to us, that he, he passes on to all of us, no matter what the background? I'm suggesting three steps. First of all, that we might be courageous. Secondly, that we face the challenge of our society uh, and, and are not put down by the secularization of our society and listen carefully to what's going on. And thirdly, that we confront in the right way and we show that we're not a society that doesn't care. We are a society community that desperately does care. And we're prepared to put our time and our money and our energies into doing what we do. That's why I spent my 30-odd years being a minister for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I give my life for it, no matter what it might mean. That's why I'm involved in trying to help the, the diocese the, 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 and the whole church in Suffolk turn itself around a little bit and start to grow again, not just to receive full churches. That's not the end point. The end point is the coming of the kingdom. That's what I give my life to. That's why I spend my time doing what I do. So how are we going to be involved in that? How are we going to carry that on? What is, it like, what is it like to be a great church? What does a great church look like? Well, that's next week's talk. It's like EastEnders, isn't it? You know, you just see the cliffhanger. You're going to spend whole, the whole week thinking, what's he going to say? Maybe not. Um, <laughs> let me conclude this one, though. In 20, Matthew 22, verse 22, when they heard this, what Jesus said, and these, this is the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were amazed. So they left him and went away. When they heard this, they were amazed. The word bit line, lies behind it. They marveled. Maybe some, I'm just, maybe I'm just hopeful. Maybe some saw what they'd done and they changed. Maybe there's a seed there of change. Even within Pharisees, there's a possibility of change. The Pharisee of Pharisees was who? It was Saul, who was opposed, but he changed. So if it's possible for him, it's possible for other people. In their, in a, Saul met Jesus in one sense in a vision, but these people really met Jesus. They were of the, of the same ilk as Paul, and he changed. So my, just my thought, I just hope God can hold on for a minute. I just hope that maybe, because they marveled, it says, and it's, they are clear, it's the Herodians and the Pharisees that Matthew's talking about, they marveled. Maybe, possibly, sometimes. You know those tough nuts at work? The ones who said, I'm an atheist. I'm going on a train once to, to, to London. And I don't know why. I wasn't in a dog collar or anything. I sat down to a bloke. Clearly, I'm not a commuter because I started to talk. You don't do that. I started to talk to the guy next to me. And, um, and he, he talked back. And he said, within two sentences, I'm an atheist. I hadn't said anything. <laughs> I thought, hello, I'm Dave. <laughs> um, and then he talked about God. All the way down to, to Liverpool Street. <laughs> he talked about God and the church and everything. Then I sort of outed myself, if that's the right phrase, uh, was by, by about Stratford. Because <laughs> um, he talked a lot. And, uh, and, and, um, and, and, and talked about, actually, 
this was, here was a chink, here was, here was a sense of, between his armor, that sense of he could actually change. He's maybe not as atheist as he was. I remember him talking to me and saying, actually, he lives in a village, he said, I don't believe in God, I don't believe this, but the, the church is thinking about closing, and I think it's wrong. So I went to the public meeting the vicar held, and I knew who he was talking about, because I know the vicar. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I went to the public meeting, because I, I put my name down to help. I thought, but you're an atheist. <laughs> he says, yeah, no, a bit of contradiction, isn't it? I said, yeah, <laughs> it is. Then maybe, even for those people, you those people in your family, in your friends, you've longed for, you've been praying for for years, and you've seen no hint, maybe, maybe they could marvel. Maybe it's just a little step, another step. Maybe they would come to your carol service. Maybe they would accept a holding cross from you. Maybe they would receive an act of kindness from you. That's what you can offer. Just maybe. And they marveled, and they went away. The trouble was over, but it's not fully over because we know this is Passion Week and we know what happened by Good Friday. But even then we know that's not the end of the story, but that is for another week. Let's bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your calling upon us to share in your mission in Ipswich and in the county and beyond of all traditions of all denominations. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity we've had to receive from you today. And we pray, Lord, that we may be courageous for you as your son was. We pray, Lord, we may face the challenge of our society and read it aright and read the intent that lies behind it and understand it and really listen. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would actually help us to confront where that's right, to be bold, to speak up for you where that's right in a way that can be heard and to think about the answers that we give and the responses that we give and how we demonstrate. Lord, put us like you did when William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson and others put into our hearts those issues that you want us to campaign for and against and with. Help us be so motivated by what we've heard today that when we go to work on Monday, when we're in our communities, wherever, when we're scattered and not just gathered, we may remember that you are with us. And may people marvel, not because of us, because they've encountered Jesus Christ. And we ask this in your name. Amen.